Amen. He's going to share God's word with us. Lord bless you, Brent. <laughs> Can you? All righty. Um, Jason, playing Amazing Grace was a dirty pool. She, she made me do it. So, all right. Um, Trent, if you could put the first slide up. Yes. Um, hang with me. I am very nervous. Um, have you ever had something just, when you think of something, you see something, you read something, and it just rattles around in your brain? until you either forget about it or figure it out. Well, why Jesus had to die the way he did, just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, because why did the God of all creation, the Lord who owns everything, runs everything, creates everything, have to die such a painful death? And uh, this, is, this is just kind of me working through it. Um, just first, a brief history of crucifixion. Um, of the stuff I was read and the information I was able to find out, it said perhaps it was used by the Assyrians and Babylonians, but we know for sure that the Persians used crucifixions as a punishment as early as the 6th century B.C., um, when Alexander the Great conquered Persia, he brought it back to the Eastern Mediterranean in the 4th century B.C. It was introduced to Rome in the 3rd century B.C., and it wasn't abolished in the Roman Empire until the Emperor Constantine I abolished it, Constantine being the first Christian emperor of Rome. Um, just a brief description of what it is. Okay. It was usually done on a pole or an old tree, um, that part of the cross, the vertical part of the cross was usually already there. So these were usually done at prearranged sites. Um, the condemned person said may or may not have been scourged or whipped. Then they were forced to carry the cross beam that they would be nailed to. At some point in this process, they were stripped completely naked. That's for our modesty's sake, as far as the covering. Okay. Um, Then they would have his arms laid upon the beam and they would be nailed to the beam and then they would be raised upon the pole. The feet would then be nailed upon the pole. The crucified person would live from six hours to a few days. If the authorities thought it was taking too long for this person to die, they would break their leg. Uh, crucifixion was, it's not just a slow and painful death. It, this was a way for the authorities in Rome to scare and uh, keep basically the population in line. There was a fear factor in it. Um, crucifixions were usually public spectacles. They were meant to scare and deter people from uh, going against Roman law and authority. Um, they were usually public spectacles. This is why they were held along roadsides or just outside city gates. Um, I found an article about the physical effects of crucifixion upon the human body. Um, this is an article called The Science of the Crucifixion, and it is from 
And it, it, uh, I found this on the website from Azusa Pacific. And the uh, Carly, I hope I do her name right, Carly Schreier is the author. This is an excerpt from one of her lectures at Azusa Pacific. Um, it's Carly Schreier, PhD. Um, and I, I would like to read you just part of it to you. Okay. The accused needed to be nailed to the patabolum, which is the crossbeam, while lying down. So Jesus is thrown to the ground, reopening his wounds, grinding in dirt, and causing bleeding. They nail his hands to the patabolum. The Greek meaning of hands includes the wrist. It's more likely that the nails went through Jesus' wrist. If the nails were driven into the hand, the weight of the arms would cause the nail to rip through the soft flesh. Therefore, the upper body would not be held upon to cross. If placed in the wrist, the bones in the lower portion of the hand support the weight of the arms and the body. And uh, the huge nail, usually seven to nine inches long, damages or severs the major nerve in the hand, the median nerve, upon impact. This causes continuous agonizing pain upon both arms of Jesus. Once the victim is secured, the guards lift the pallets of them and place it on the stipes already in the ground. As it is lifted, Jesus' full weight pulls down on his nailed wrists and his shoulders and elbows dislocate. In this position, Jesus' arms stretch to a minimum of six inches longer than their original length. It is highly likely that Jesus' feet were nailed through the tops as often pictured in this position. This is a, there were also, it, there's accounts of being nailed sideways. Basically, your feet put on both sides and then put nails through each ankle. It's highly likely that Jesus' feet were nailed through the tops as often pictured. In this position, with the knees flexed at approximately 90 degrees, the weight of the body pushes down on the nails and the ankles support the weight. The nails would not rip through the soft tissue as it would have occurred in the hand. Again, the nail would cause severe nerve damage. It severs the dorsal pedal artery of the foot and, uh, and causes acute pain. Normally, to breathe in, the diaphragm must move down. This enlarges the chest cavity, and air automatically moves into the lungs. To exhale, the diaphragm rises up, which compresses the air in the lungs and forces the air out. As Jesus hangs on the cross, the weight of his body pulls down on the diaphragm, and the air moves into his lungs and remains there. Jesus must push up on his nailed feet to exhale. In order to speak, air must pass over the vocal cords during exhale. Exhalation. The Gospels note that Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. It is amazing that despite his pain, he pushes up to say, forgive them. The difficulty surrounding exhalation leads to a slow form of suffocation. Carbon dioxide builds up in the blood, resulting in a high level of carbonic acid in the blood. The body responds instinctively, triggering the desire to breathe. At the same time, the heart beats faster to circulate oxygen. The decreased oxygen causes damage to the tissues and the capillaries begin weakening, or excuse me, begin leaking watery fluid from the blood into the tissues. This results in a buildup of fluid around the heart, uh, pericardial effusion, and the lungs, pleural effusion. The collapsing lungs, failing heart, dehydration, and the inability to get su sufficient oxygen to the tissues essentially suffocate the victim. 
The decreased oxygen also damages the heart itself, myocardial infarction, which leads to cardiac arrest. In several cases of cardiac stress, the heart can even burst, a process known as cardiac rupture. Jesus most likely died of a heart attack. After Jesus, that, that's, I just wanted to describe what kind of pain he's actually going through there. Um, now, why'd he do it? Why would the father put his son through such agonizing pain? And this is the part, it's just so hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, Trent, can you put up the next slide, please? Well, I was trying to go through this, and the first, in Isaiah 5, 53, uh, Psalms 22, and then Luke 24, 44. I'm going to read that one. He, um, it's to fulfill prophecy. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecy. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Also, he fulfilled the law. Jesus didn't come to replace the law. Jesus came to fulfill it, bring it to its conclusion. And these verses, um, first, if you're interested in what the actual offerings are, they're in the first five or six chapters of Leviticus. Burnt offering, sin offering, um, guilt offering. These are the offerings that Jesus um, completed with his death. Um, 1 Peter 1.19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister cannot love God Excuse me, wrong one. Hang with me. Okay. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, which is what was required by the law, or defect. Jesus was the offering because otherwise we're the offering. Jesus hangs on the cross not for himself. He's hanging there for me. He's taking upon himself what should be my punishment, not his. Um, oh, he fulfills the law. Now, now I'm running over that. Now let's get to why he really did it. It's because he loves us. He loves me. He loves you. Whether you're a believer in him or not, he did this for you. 
Now, it is up to you whether you accept this gift or not, but he did it for everyone. I'm going to, let's see here. Okay, 1 John 4, 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is, this is love, not, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is 100% his grace. I did nothing to deserve this. I, I still struggle with whether I'm worthy of this or not. But I, I, I truly am thankful... that that he did is, and I, I still don't understand. I can't wrap my head around why he would do something like this for me. Why is this the mechanism in which he makes me right with him? Um, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve disobeyed, brought sin into the world, and brought separation from God. Until Jesus died on the cross, the world was separated from him. Now, once he died, because he made the payment that had to be made according to this mechanism of doing it, that he chose freely to do, we can now be with God. We can be with the Father and the Son. And you often wonder, why do this? I'm, I'm going to go back to Isaiah 53. That's kind of my default. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life, an, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. For the longest time, I didn't get that. I really, truly didn't get what that meant. You know, and there's been all kinds of people, and I used to think, and I hope I'm theologically correct here. In a way, it's like, well, you've heard all kinds of things. Well, this group killed Jesus. This group killed The Romans killed Jesus. The Jews killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. My sin killed Jesus. Well... My sin caused the situation in which he had to die. But the father asked him to do this. And he freely gave. He did it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he even asked the father, if it is the father's will, will you take this from me? He knew exactly what he was getting into. He, uh, He didn't also, 
he did this for our benefit, so that we may be with him. But by him doing this, there is also a, a part that says that if I, I have done this for you, now, I did not do this just so you can, now it's done, nothing else in the future. I don't have, now that now I have nothing to do with it. It's by grace. I got the grace, so now I'm good. He did it as an example for the way that we should be with each other. He so loved us that he sacrificed and gave for us. Now, in doing this, he set an example that we should also sacrifice and give for each other. He did not do this so we can just come to church for two hours and sit here, and then for the rest of the week, it's all good. And then next Sunday, I'll go to church for two hours, sit here, and it's all good. He did this to show us how to live, how to conduct our lives, and in how to interact with each other. The world was saved because he loved all of his children in it. The world was saved because he loved them. He didn't, and like I said, he saved it so we could love each other. John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world, and by that it means this is the way he loved the world. This is the action by which he shows he loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is a gift he gave us. Now, because he also loved us so much, he gives us free will. He's not going to force anything upon us. He wants us to see his example, read his word, and recognize that that is the way that we are to be also with each other. The Lord of all things, He's God. He can do whatever he wants. You know? He did not have to do this. And I still don't under, quite understand that why. But it is through his grace I am saved. And it has nothing to do with anything I can do. Because I don't deserve it. I'm just speaking as a guy just trying to figure out what his place is in life and what he's supposed to do. Um, the only way he is a loving God but he is also a just God he keeps all his promises all his promises are yes and amen that also means justice that means that 
There had to be a payment for our inequity, for our sin. It's just that he made the payment for us. Now with that, and I don't know if I'm using the right word, I think there is an obligation to be obedient and do what he asks us to do. And that is to love one another. I'm not sure exactly what form that entails. Everybody, it's different. We've all got to figure that out for ourselves. Um, the the uh, Jesus said, uh, I didn't write that, I think it's Matthew. The greatest commandment, when he was asked, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second is to love one another as yourself. It's a package deal. You can't, me, I can't separate one from the other. Now, that does not mean I live up to this all the time, because I'll admit I don't. But if I was a perfect person, he wouldn't have hung on the cross. Um, I guess... I His love is so encompassing. I mean just all encompassing everything. It It says that all creation groans. Okay? And we are part of that creation. We are the crowning glory of that creation. He wanted fellowship with us. Again, I, sometimes I wonder why, but he did. He put himself in a position, hanging on the cross, to accomplish that. Well, being the son of God, being God, one of the Godhead, he had to, at some point, he had to separate himself from the Father. And in that moment of separation, um, Matthew 27, 57, uh, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and I'm going to butcher this, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, he separated himself from the Father. He had to do that because God is perfect. An imperfect being can't be in the presence. He separates himself from the Father, and in that moment, he takes the sin of all the world. Not just in the present, at that time, all the sin that, from Adam on, everything in the past, everything in that moment, Everything in the future until his second coming, he took upon himself. Literally, the weight of the world 
was hanging on his wrists and his feet at that moment. And he did it willingly. He fulfilled an obligation that was mine. It was all of humanity. And if that just isn't the definition of love, I just don't know what is. Um, and I'm done. <laughs> I can sit and rant and ramble and stuff, but I know you don't want to hear that. Okay. Takeaway is just God loves you. Whatever you do, God loves you. He didn't go through this then to say, oh, well, I'm done with you. You're gone. Get away from me. That's not why he did it. I just hope that everybody remembers that. Even in your darkest times, and even in the times you know you were doing wrong, just remember, God loves you. And because he loves you, love each other. Like I said, I'm not always, I, I am a child of God who sins. I don't, like, I don't know how other best way to put that. But I do that knowing that my Heavenly Father loves me regardless. Because I have made a free will choice to let him into my life and accept him as Lord and Savior. And you have to do that. The peace and the contentment and the love, my experience, that comes over, that came over me in that moment, like Jason was talking about, in that moment, was the most real thing that has ever happened to me. And, and with that, I'm done. <laughs> Sorry, I got lost. No, no, no. I got lost in there. No, that's okay. God bless you. Amen. This should come on at some point. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brent, for, for sharing that with us. And one thing's for certain that you can tell, right, from the scripture that Brent shared and, and his own passion for the Lord, Jesus is committed to loving us, isn't he? He is committed. He is in it no matter what. So you can trust him. You can depend upon him. I can trust him. I can depend upon him. Even though it is by grace because we are the chief of all sinners, we can come to him day in and day out and confess our sins to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive us again and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, we will stay in that relationship with him because he's committed. He went all the way. And because he loved us that much while we were yet sinners, how much more does he love us that we're his sons? Amen? Amen. And I think that Brent has a passion for us to know that, a passion for us to believe that and to walk in that. Amen. So I want you to stand and let's close in prayer and uh, let's ask the Lord to really convince us of that. Go ahead.
background of science and believing in science. And thinking, yeah. well, I've told some of you before, thinking y'all are a bunch of fools. Yeah. I did. Now you know what? Thank you, Lord, I'm one of the fools. Yeah, amen. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for that word. We thank you for Brent and his heart and his witness. And we pray you continue to bless him. Continue to make us witnesses as well of your truth. Continue to use us as we speak to our family, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our community, people at our workplace. God, uh, fill us uh, with your love. Fill us with your gospel, with truth. Uh, fill us with all the power that we need to be effective witnesses, Lord. And we just want to say thank you again. Thank you for being committed to loving us all the way, for being faithful and true. Lord, we bless you for that. We bless you, God, for your plan that has redeemed us and bought us back and forgiven us and washed us clean. Thank you, Lord. And thank you that you are more than generous to us now that we are in Christ, that you desire for us to be right with you and to walk with you and to receive all your good gifts. So, God, may we come boldly this morning to your throne of grace to find grace and help in our time of need. May we not shy back and may we not run from you. Lord, we ask for this blessing and we, we pray that you would bless us just afresh and anew this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen. Amen. amen.